Well, good morning, church. Glad you are here worshiping as a church family. Got a special treat for you as we go through today's service. Um, Just some very different individuals, part of this church family, are going to come up and share their stories with you. Last week, I hope you enjoyed Brad Hurdick and the story that he shared. Um, What a tremendous testimony God has given this young man. I always heard that you don't have a testimony unless you've had a test in your life. Boy, he had a final test exam. It was huge, wasn't it? But God is still working in his life. Do me a favor, open up uh, your Bibles to the book of Ephesians. It's in the New Testament. You get past Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and you got a bunch of small books. Galatians, Ephesians is right after that. And uh, as you're opening up to Ephesians, and we'll get there in a second. I'll put on the screen in a, in a little bit. i got something else I want to throw on the screen first. Galatians, I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 2 is where we're going to be looking at. But I have this quick quiz, okay? It sort of goes with Ephesians. And I, not that I had to bribe some people, but I had to let them know that, listen, I'll, I'll join you in this if you let me use you as an illustration. And they're like, okay, go ahead. So we're going to play a little quiz this morning. There are three individuals who are on stage often up here um, or at the school. And um, I'm going to put their picture up from the past, I want you to see if you can guess who it is, okay? We're just going to look back and have a little bit of fun with this. So here's our first picture. If you look at the fro on the left, I mean the guy on the left, that's a lot of hair, isn't it? Anybody want to make a guess? Just sort of th- sit there and think, of, who would be up here? No, it's not Janelle. What's that? Dave Meyer, that's correct. So Dave Meyer on the left, so he's not here. <laughs> that's why I'm using that picture. Now... <laughs> I did contact him and ask him, can I use it? He goes, oh, yeah, absolutely. So, great. Okay, so let's put up our next picture. Uh, Looking back at the past. Oh, yeah. Hey, there's even an autograph going across the top there. This is back in the rock days, right? Yeah. Good old 80s band. Oh, yeah, that's who that is. (laughs) Pastor Dave. Thanks, Dave. (laughs) Karen, we've got a few more, don't we? We could put up there. We're not going to. Okay, now, those were actually the only two I wanted to show. But I, 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 okay, here you go, for good sake. Okay, that's my baseball days. That's a good old recreation and park day. That's, I think that could be sixth grade, maybe. So, yeah, but okay, so that's me. Now we'll throw up one more. That's Pastor Landon. Just kidding. We're, Landon, I had to throw that one up there. I don't know. I have no idea who that is. Um, I just saw that picture. I thought it was awesome. So, okay, so here we go. Uh, you're sitting there thinking, what does that have to do with Ephesians, right? Well, if you're there at Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 1, uh, let me read this to you because I'm sort of thinking this. If you ever look back at old pictures and you sort of reminisce about those photographs and you're browsing through and it, I don't know if it, it takes you back to the good old days, or maybe not so good old days. You know, you sort of think back, you look at a picture, oh, I remember that, oh, I'm so glad I'm not there anymore, right? Or other times we feel we wish we were, but um, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 especially, it's like looking back at an old box of photographs. It's like looking at, back at where we were before Jesus Christ. We call those our B.C. days, before Christ days, before we knew that there was a God who loved us, what kind of lifestyle did we have? For a lot of us, it could have been really rough. It could have been really challenging. So look with me at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. 
where it says this, Once you were dead because of your disobedience and your many sins. Verse 2 says, You used to live in sin, just like the rest of the world, obeying the devil, the commander of the powers of the unseen world. He is the spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. All of us used to live that way. Fulfilling and following the passionate desires and inclinations of the sinful nature. By our very nature, we were subject to God's wrath, His anger, just like everybody else. When you look at these verses and you sort of see what it says, it says, we're in the past time, and, or verse 2 says, you used to, would be the King James Version, but translated differently, it basically says, back then. Just like we looked at those old photographs, back then, right? Paul's saying, hey, back then, you remember how you used to be? Paul was reminding his readers what they were like before the grace of God touched their hearts. He wanted his readers, he wanted us to look at that one statement and reach back into our pocketbook and pull out a bunch of pictures and start flipping through saying, I remember what I was like before Christ. It wasn't pretty. Or I remember back then, and it wasn't the greatest. It's like Paul's pulling on and saying, hey, remember when? Remember when? Remember those days? And someone's like, yeah. And then he reminds his readers, he goes, back then, you used to live or walk according to the world. The word lived in this Greek is peripateo, okay? What does that mean? Why do I even say it? I don't know. It's just fun to say, okay? But it's a Greek word there. It means basically this. To walk about basically in a habit-forming manner in one general direction all the time. The Greek grammar implies that it's a path from which people can't deviate. It's like they get stuck in this rut. If you've ever been driving down a dirt road, a muddy road, or maybe a lane and you're on uh, the acreage that you maybe own or something... And you've driven it in the spring and you create a rut because it's such soft ground. And then it hardens. The next time you drive, you sort of get into that rut and you're stuck there. And you got to drive in that rut because of the previous time out when the ground was soft. You know what I'm saying? It's a rut. You're sort of stuck there. You're not getting out of the track. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying you're sort of trapped or trapped or, or stuck on this path, and you're just bound to walk it again and again. You're sort of stuck there. You aren't going off track on this one. You're locked in that one general sphere of can't finding your way out from where you are. Now, this verse goes on to say, you used to live, walk according to the rest of the world. Paul now reminds us that before we met the Lord, we were under a different dominating influence. Think about this. You thought you just grew up making whatever choice you wanted to make. You were under another influence, a dominating influence. In our society, if you look at this, this word, basically the word world here is cosmos, which is depicting something that is fashioned or ordered. There's a system to it. It's, it's uh, maybe like uh, in our society an institution. It is a fashion or education or entertainment. It is these things in our world now that Paul says, listen, you used to be dominated by this world system. You didn't have God's word to live by. 
So you had something else that was driving you and dictating your choices and your every move. Now for us, you think about this, for those of us, let's maybe restate that. For those of us who are not Christians, what would those things be? What would those systems be? What would that society be? What is it that drives us to the impulses, the behaviors of this world? Sadly, I'd say some of the top ones would be education, entertainment, and fashion. Those are probably pretty three strong forces that drive this world today. We're so thankful to have a great educational system, right? But if the educational system chooses to start teaching things that are not morally good, guess what our children are learning, right? The same way with fashion, the things we wear, the styles that we have. If the world says this fashion is acceptable, our children who look online and see all these things, like, well, look what they're wearing. Everybody else, and it's a battle suddenly, right? Because fashion is now dictating our behavior for style, right? Entertainment's the same way. If they can act this way on stage or this way in sport, or they can accomplish and do these kind of things, can't we all do that? Education, again, entertainment, fashion, those are pretty strong forces of the world. So if we've got a world system and people fall into that rut, that's what Paul's saying. It dominates us and directs us. And son, you can't get out of that rut. Paul's saying, do you remember what you used to be like? Way back when you habitually walked around and you were trapped and you were unable to get out of that system, you were stuck, totally unaware that you were being dominated and you were being manipulated by the constantly fluctuating thinking of the day, by the desires of the times, by whatever society was given approval at that moment. In Ephesians chapter 2. Paul goes on to say, all of us used to live that way. Following the passion and desires. The inclinations of our sinful nature. <clears throat> By our very nature, we were subject to God's anger. His wrath. Paul's telling us, because we don't follow God... Because we're not following him, we're going to taste the wrath of God. So our God is holy. Our God is perfect. Our God is without sin. He's a holy God. So when we bring our sinful nature in front of him, we can't. Why? Because he's holy. To bring sin before holy God doesn't work. Think about this. We've broken God's commands. What happens when you break the rules? What happens when you break the commands? You get in trouble, right? Parents, your kids make bad choices. They break a rule. What do you do? Just laugh it off, right? Kids be kids. That's okay. That's right. All the other kids are doing that, right? No. If you're a parent who really loves your child, you've already set up probably a penalty, right? There's probably some kind of consequence. If you do this, you go against our commands, there's going to be a penalty. God says, you've broken my commands. You will face my wrath, my anger. So in that being, we think about this, 
our past, back then, as Paul's saying, we were subject to God's wrath. We deserve the punishment that was coming our way. Once we were spiritually and emotionally dead to God, subjects of his wrath. So how do we correct this? How do we fix this broken relationship? Look with me now, verse 4, Ephesians chapter 2. But God is so rich in mercy. He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you've been saved. That's a verse worth underlining. And God gives us new life. How? By, By what manner? Grace. Only the grace of God. Grace means that there's no cause in us as to why God should act the way he does. We don't deserve a thing. There's no entitlement. We see entitlement all the time, don't we? Well, I'm a senior. Oh, I've been doing this for so long. Well, because this, I deserve. We see entitlement all the time, right? Well, I was on that team. I, I deserve something, right? No, 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 no. There's no entitlement. Just because you were created by God doesn't mean you deserve to be in heaven. You don't deserve to be forgiven. But that's the grace of God. That's the good news. God owes us nothing. Life is not fair. Nobody ever said life was fair. But yet we expect life to be fair. I don't understand why this happened to me. It just isn't fair. Exactly. Life isn't fair. Who told you it was? Whoever told you life was fair, they lied to you. Because that's not true. We live in a sinful, broken world. Do we really expect perfection and pure love in a broken, sinful world? No. But that's the grace of God who reaches into the sinfulness, reaches into the brokenness and says, I'm bringing my perfect love to you in this mess. And once we realize this, the grace of God has a whole new meaning. Back in 1995, you may not remember this. Some of you who are baseball junkies probably do. Okay? But in 1995, Major League Baseball went on strike. And for a few weeks during that strike, a bunch of nobodies took the mound. A bunch of nobodies went on the field. A bunch of nobodies picked up baseball bats and were swinging away. We didn't know who these people were, who these baseball players were. One minute, they're working at Lowe's. One minute, they're on a baseball field, right? One minute, you know, they're a coach maybe of a Little League baseball team. Next, you know, they're out on the mound throwing a baseball. Now, during that moment, during that strike, when these replacement players came in, oh, the pitching velocity dropped, okay? The line drives that they were hitting hard, line drives, you know, the third base, and that's about as far as they went, okay? They weren't great hitters. They weren't maybe as fast. The game was a little less powerful, a little slower, but they played. These guys had fun. They showed up early because they weren't big contract players. These were guys like, I get to go play baseball on a major league field. I get to play before a crowd. I know there's not a lot of people showing up, but the stadium's handing out free hot dogs, so I know there's going to be some people here today, right? These guys were having so much fun. They were given something, though, that they didn't deserve. I mean, think about this. These were not major league prospects. These were your average day Joes. And they were given the opportunity to go out and stand on a major league field and play ball. What made them so special? It wasn't their name, and it wasn't their game, that's for sure. They were simply living a life they didn't deserve. You know what what that's called? Grace. 
That's grace. We're just like those ball players. We are, listen, I don't think anybody in this room, not to offend anybody, is, I don't think anybody in this room is skilled enough to play Major League Baseball. Okay? If you disagree with me, come see me afterwards. I will apologize directly to your face. Okay? If you think you're a Major League Ball player, okay? A lot of us, we aren't even qualified to play church softball. Okay? Um, we're trying to get together a team. We're working on that. Okay? But we are qualified. Thank God we are qualified by His grace to have our names on an incredible roster. The Lamb's Book of Life. There's a scripture, Revelation 21, verses 22 to 27. I want to read this to you. You can actually, there's another scripture if you want to write down. Revelation chapter 20, verses 12 to 15. You can look that one up another time. But it talks about the Book of Life. And it contains the names of those who've put their trust in Jesus Christ, basically saying this, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is written in this book of life. Okay? Let's read from Revelation chapter 21, verses 22 to 27. I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives its light, and its lamp is the Lamb. We're talking about heaven here, okay? Check this out. By its light will the nations walk, and the kings of earth will bring the glory into it. And its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of nations, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anything who does what is detestable or false, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. Who's getting into heaven? Those whose names are in the Lamb's book of life. Whose names are in the book of life? Those who have given their life to Jesus Christ, who have confessed that He is a holy God and have asked for forgiveness. Your name is in there if you've done that. Do you deserve it? Do I deserve it? No. I don't deserve it. But that's grace. That's incredible. It's amazing, right? To have our names written in that book. Paul says in verse 4, again, going back to Ephesians. But God is so rich in his mercy. He loves us so much. Look at the person next to you and let them know. Tell them, you're loved by God. Tell them. Now, amazing thing. And even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. We just celebrated Easter. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we too one day will be resurrected and with our Savior. He went on to say this in verse 8 of Ephesians 2. God saved you by His grace. Say that with me. By His grace. Let's say it one more time. By His grace. That's how we're saved. He saved us by His grace when we believed. You can't take credit for this, Paul says. It's a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things that we've done. Otherwise, we'd boast about it, Paul says. Romans, turn there with me, please. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 to 3. Turn your Bibles there. Paul continues on this subject in another book. He wrote this starting in verse 1, Romans chapter 5. He said, Therefore, since we've been made right with God in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done for us. 
Because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand, and we confidently and joyfully look forward to sharing God's glory. Verse 3, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop perseverance. By the grace of God, by the grace of God, church, we are given new life. Okay? What does new life look like? Well, according to Paul here in Romans 5, verses 1 to 3, the first thing is, is this. We have peace with God. Now, this is sort of, sort of a crazy time we live in, isn't it? Just the other day, as you think of, you know, you said, we have peace. And we're thinking what? Russia, North Korea, maybe Iran, all these things going on in the world for the first time in a long time. My son comes up to me and says, Dead, is World War III about ready to happen? When's, when's the last time you heard somebody say that? It's been a long time since we've heard those kind of words or questions brought up, right? But we live in a world today where it seems a little unsettled and unsettled, and we're like, What's, is there, are we going to be okay? Is there peace? This isn't the kind of peace that we're talking about. And I said, we have peace with God. We're talking about a peace between us and God. That wrath, that anger, there's now peace in that new relationship we have with God. We're not subjects to his wrath anymore. Here's the second blessing, and it is this. We have a place with God. We have a place with God. Going back to what Paul said, Romans 5, 2, because of our faith, Christ has what? Brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward to the sharing of God's glory. See, the grace of God ushers us into his glory. It's like Jesus meets us outside the throne room. We, have, we do not have access to God. But it's like Jesus meets us outside the throne room and says, come here, give me your hand. If you're a lady, right? Guys are like, holding hands? No. Put your arm around me, Jesus. Picture it any way you want, whether he's grabbing your hand, putting his arm around you, but he ushers you into the throne room to meet God. Only Jesus can do that. He gives us a new place, a new standing, a new peace with God. Alone, we would never be granted an audience with the King of Kings. Never. But because of our faith, Christ with us, we are now welcomed into his presence. Think of it like this. Let's say a child comes up to your house, Mike. Okay? You have no idea who he is. Okay? Stranger. Nine, ten-year-old comes running up to your house, knocks on your door and says, Hey, can I come in and spend the night? What's your first thought? No. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you thought it was your son? Oh. oh. Your first thought is probably no. But you probably have a bunch of questions, right? Uh, what's your name? <laughs> Where do you live? Who's your parents? Tell me a little bit about yourself, right? We'd have all these kinds of questions, right? You probably, they would just be staying right there at the threshold of the door. That's probably about as far as they're going to get because you don't know who this is, right? But let's say now Miles has a friend. You don't know who his friend is, but Miles now comes to the door with his friend. And he just, what do they do? They just come right in and go downstairs and start playing, right? And they start having fun. You might still ask those questions, but because of your son and the relationship he has with that stranger, you've gained, he's gained access into the Father's home, right? That's the picture I'm talking about. Our Heavenly Father, strangers come to his door all the time. They don't know who he is. Why should they be allowed to come in? But see, when they come in through Jesus Christ, he gains access into the Father's house. 
That's the standing we have as a Christian. God gives us this even though we do not deserve it, right? God gives us grace, peace with God, a place with God. This helps us deal with our our past and our present, right? But what about the future? I mean, what's coming next? Here's the third blessing we receive when we read through Romans 5, 1 to 3 is this. We share in his glory. Let me read this again. Thanks to the grace of God, because of our faith, Christ has brought us into a place of undeserved privilege where we now stand. And we confidently and joyfully look forward. We look forward to sharing God's glory. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that that helps us develop perseverance. Thanks to the grace of God, we have help for the future. Paul knows that we have troubles coming our way every day. He calls them tribulations. He calls them trials. Those are not minor inconveniences, but real hardships. A lot of you in this room have faced real hardship. And Paul says, know the truth. God is with you during those times. One author said this. We'll put them up on the board here so you can, on the screen so you can read it. A runner must be stressed to gain endurance. Sailors must go to sea. Soldiers go to battle. For the Christian, tribulation is just part of the Christian life. We should not desire or hope for tribulation-free Christian life, especially because God uses tribulation wonderfully in our life. Martin Luther said this, Whatever virtues tribulation finds us in, it develops more fully. If anyone's carnal, weak, blind, wicked, haughty, and so forth, tribulation will make him more carnal, weak, blind, wicked, and irritable. On the other hand, if one is spiritual, strong, wise, pious, gentle, and humble, he'll become more spiritual, powerful, wise, pious, gentle, and humble. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, In his kindness, God called you, you, to share in his eternal glory by means of Christ Jesus. So after you've suffered a little while, he will restore, he will support, he will strengthen you, and he will place you on a firm foundation. Let me read that different version to you from ESV, the English Standard Version. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace who's called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. Thanks to the grace of God, he gives us what we need to survive today's and tomorrow's trials and tribulations. God gives you peace. God gives you a place. And God gives you hope to share in an eternal glory. So when I think about this, the grace that's been given to us, I'm no longer an object of his wrath. I'm forgiven. And he loves me. I don't deserve it. How do I live? I mean, how do I respond to that? I'm forever in the grasp of his grace. I've got two different people that are going to come up here. Actually, three people are going to come up here. And they're going to share really quickly their story about how grace is being worked in their life. Julie, would you come on up? Julie Borton's going to share just uh, briefly with us. I'm going to ask her a few questions. And then um, Julie's story goes back a ways here. We're thankful that she is able to join us today. I asked her if she wanted to use the ramp, and she goes, no. She wants the stairs. 
give you the mic. Julie, obviously, you've been through a lot. Just take everybody back real quick to when you first went in the hospital. Do you remember the day when it was? November 6th. Yep, you hold the mic up that way. November 6th. It was a Sunday. I was at church, and I went home and felt fine. And that night I got sick. We went to the ER, and they said I had a kidney stone. So they sent me home, and two days later I was really, really sick. So I went back to the ER, and they put me in ICU, and life lighted me. And from there, I was in a coma, I guess, for several days. And I know my family called Rex, Pastor Rex, to come and pray. So my husband, Mark, and Rex prayed over me. And Mark will never forget, he said, a wire had moved on the bed. Is that right? And there was no explanation for it. But Mark just knew that that was a sign from God that I was going to make it because they didn't think I would. You were very close to physical death. Yes. Um, and I think a lot of the doctors and nurses even said that where the point where you got, you, you shouldn't even be here. Right. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this. What were your relationships like with those that were in the hospital, the nurses and doctors? Um, I appreciated them. Mm-hmm. Um, I told them that a lot of people would come up to me and after I was starting to get a little better, before I had to go to the nursing home. Um, oh, you were so lucky. You were so lucky. And I said, no, I'm not lucky. I am very blessed to have God give me my life. And I should have lost my legs and my arms, but the gangrene had stopped, which was another miracle. And so my testimony is not about what happened to me, but how God is getting me through it every day. He, it's hard to explain it. It's yeah. grace. I was going to say, it's definitely been a grace life for you in that bed, not deserving life, like, and, then, and then none of us do, but yet you were given that second chance. Yes. Your hands and your feet were supposed to be gone. Right. But here you are holding the microphone right now in yes. one hand and the tissue in the other hand. Yes. Which is I was miracle. a hairdresser for, my fact, my wonderful co-worker and her husband's here, Mary and Dave, and my big support back there, Mark and my cousin Sue. Um, It's hard because I was a hairstylist for almost 30 years, and now I can't even curl my own hair or put my earrings in. Jenny did for me today. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I will. I will get there. I'm learning. There's a lot of people that have been involved in your life praying for you, People stopping by, delivering things to you, whether it's been meals or just gifts, cards. Uh, the prayers have been tremendous. And I was thinking about this. The reason I bring it up, I want to ask you this question. Do you think God's ever abandoned you? Never. Never. He's been with me more, I feel, now than ever before. And I, everybody says, oh, you're going to need to talk to a psychologist. Or, you know, afterwards you're going to... When you start getting better, you're going to have, you know, feelings afterwards about depression and all that. And it's like, no, I'm not. I have God. And I've never felt that way. Never. That's awesome. Isn't that amazing how, again, God's given you something that you didn't think you had. And he's given you the ability to handle this. 
So I think it's pretty safe to say after we've read Romans 5, 1 to 3, that God has given you peace. Peace. I can't explain it. I, I've not had, yeah, I get fearful sometimes at night before a surgery or something, but um, Rhonda, I don't know if Rhonda's here, Rhonda Borton, but she brought me a prayer box. And when I was in the nursing home before my first amputation on my one thing on my fingers, I was so scared and I wrote my worries in that box and I, I got through it. I didn't know how I was going to get into the, the wheelchair to get transported to the doctors. I was, I couldn't even get out of bed and I did it. I, I just put those worries in, in, in that box, and it got me through everything. And I don't know how to explain it, but God is so good to me. Absolutely. You know, you've had the opportunity to share with the local newspaper, to share your story. And I want to ask you this. Do you have any plans for sharing your story with others? Obviously, you could share a little bit of it today with the church. I don't know what, why God has chosen me to keep my life. I don't know for sure what he has in store for me. I never thought I'd be in front of my church family giving a testimony because I like to talk, but it's hard in front of a lot of people. Yeah, yeah. you're doing great, by the way. <laughs> and But I, I don't have that fear I thought I'd have. And God wants me to, I guess, just let people know that it's not about my kidney stone or me losing my my toes and my fingers. It's about how he is getting me through this yeah. every day in Mark because yeah. it's been hard on him. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's a, it's a family thing. Yes. You're not isolated in this with the pain. How does this change your perspective on life? This is the last thing I want to ask you because you, you shared something with me, and I don't know if you want me to repeat what you told me or whether you want to say this, but how does this change your perspective on life? Oh, my life is, I, wanted, I, I wanted to d- dedicate my new life to God today and we prayed Rex before the service and I just want to try to to be better at doing certain things like for the church family when people's in need and when you say go be the church it means more to me now than ever because you all were the church for me when I was in the nursing home and sent me just gifts and most of all your prayers and I can't thank all of you. So it's just meant so much to me. So I don't know. I just want God to know how much I love him. You told me you're not bitter. Never. But, but you're grateful for life. Grateful and yeah. thankful. I yeah. have never, ever, ever been bitter about this. I'm grateful because I still have my legs. And I still have my hands and my arms. Because at first they didn't think I was going to. God has shown grace to you in loving you and giving you new life in Christ and even physically now giving you new opportunities and that's what today's message we're talking about the grace God's given us so how do we respond you are grateful to him so I'm sure you're going to be finding ways to show grace and giving grace to others as God's done for you yes and not all not all people I mean I was able to keep my life I'm not out of the woods yet I still have another surgery coming up on my feet And I never thought I'd be begging for a surgery, but I'm really hoping that they call me this week so I can get it over with. And, but I just want people to know and people that has lost loved ones. And I don't know why he chose to keep me alive because I'm nobody special, but I just, I just 
I want people to know that God has been there for me. He's always there for us in all situations, good or bad. And it's incredible to see this miracle at work. Julie, thank you for sharing. Thank you, Rex. You did a great job. Julie. Steve and Joy, would you come up, please? Some of you know that we, we try to wrap things up around 11.15-ish, and, and I, I, you know, we don't apologize when we go over because we pray that God is at work. Um, and, and we could end very well now, but I know Steve and Joy's got a, a message they're going to share. I hate coming between a couple. Um, and the stories we wanted to share this morning is still life situations that come at us, some more tragic than others, some unexpected tragedies that come into our life. How do we, how do we find God's grace in those moments? Or just a, a situation for you, which was just a routine surgery, right? But in the midst of that, sometimes things still go different than what we plan. So why don't you share with us your story, and I'll step down. So James 1, excuse me, 1, 6 says, but when you ask, you must believe. <clears throat> and not doubt, because the one who doubts is um, a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. Um, sorry, I'm used to talking with people one-on-one. Um, so anyways, um, April 16, 2016, um, a freak accident happened to my husband that changed our family forever. Um, we love the Buckeyes. So um, Steve has been taking the boys to the spring game for the last couple of years. And it's just a time where they can have access to that and go. And as a family of six, we can afford to do that. And um, they have a great time. So they were getting ready to leave. And we're walking actually towards the car, I think. And um, I was at home with Alec and Olivia. But... Um, they uh, were walking, and Steve just stepped, you know, forward, and a high-speed um, bicyclist came and completely knocked him up in the air about three feet or so and down on his right side. Um, so this verse, James 1, 6, was um, already very important to us, but it was going to become um, our mantra. All right, so ultimately what we found out was that I actually had three ruptured tendons in my right arm. Um, had ruptured my bicep and two of the rotator cuff muscles in my, ar- in my right arm and also had a torn labrum. So it was pretty, a pretty big deal. Um, ultimately, we, we thought everything was okay. We kind of thought, okay, we're going to do this on our own. We got this. It's no big deal. People have shoulder surgery all the time. No big deal. We'll go get it taken care of. Um, People started asking us what we needed, asked if they could help us in any way, anything like that. We're like, no, we're good. We've got this. Um, ultimately, we said, okay, you can bring us food. We're okay with food. Just That's all we need, nothing else. Um, well, it didn't go like that. Um, ultimately, the um, about four weeks after surgery, I found that the shoulder, the surgery had completely failed. There was nothing was nothing was going like planned. Um, Joy would tell you I wasn't sleeping. Like I was up on the internet, 
24-7, like literally getting like maybe an hour of sleep a day, um, trying to figure out what we could do, where we could go, how I could get help, um, what stuff could be done. Um, I was worried about my job. For those who don't know, like I work in like a correctional setting. I have to be able to restrain kids that are like my size or bigger pretty often. And I'm also the person who teaches the people how to do that kind of stuff. So I had to have the use of my right arm. There was no question. Um, I mean, I was at the point of trying to figure out where my, looking at my retirement going, how are we going to make this last for the whole rest of our life? Um, and then the, the biggest thing that was driving me over the edge was, it was like I was too young for a joint replacement, so there's no fixing it either. Like, you know, if I was at an older age, I could have had joint, uh, shoulder replacement and I'd be good to go, at least for a while. But at 40, that's not the case. So we were, we were kind of stuck. Um, again, Steve's arm was deemed pretty much unfixable. Um, he was only 40. I'm 26. I'm, I'm much younger. Um, um, we have four young kids. Um, here's how it affected our house. He talked about, you know, how it affected him. Um, Steve and I have always been... Like, we like to have fun, and we joke around a lot, and sometimes people don't know, you know, maybe how close we are, but um, every day since June 30th, 1996, we've been with each other every day since our first date, talking or on the phone or whatever, just very um, solid with each other. So I'm like, this is going to be fine. We can do this. Um, but I started to wonder, like, where my husband was. Um, he is never somebody to sit, and he's a doer, he's a fixer, so whatever it is, you know, he was always doing those things, and now I'm like, he's sleeping in the recliner, thanks Rex and Jenny, and um, I'm sleeping on the couch, and I'm waking up, and he's just constantly looking and reading, and I'm like, okay, this is not healthy. Um, he was, um, I'm a therapist, that's what I do, and, and I can say that um, my husband was clinically depressed, like he could not go on. Um, our communication just kind of stopped. He was focusing on the things that he was freaking out about, and I was focusing on the things that I was freaking out about, and we weren't working together at all. Um, and then later when he did talk to me more and did open up, I began to really worry about finances and his job and, you know, what was, what was going to happen and, and, you know, medical bills and all those kinds of things. So everything's just starting to spiral. And we pretty much hit kind of rock bottom. Um, and again, we're doing this on our own. We don't need any help. So there comes a time when um, I remember, you know, looking at him and saying, this is not working. We, we can't do this. What are, what are we going to do? We had nowhere else to go except on our knees. So we basically had um, a come to Jesus meeting at our kitchen table that same night. And um, we just, um, we talked about it. We prayed about it together. We cried together. Um, still not knowing, you know, what was going to happen or if his arm was even going to be able to be fixed. But um, we had to give it over. We decided to become followers and not to keep trying and leading. And that God would lead us in his, and hold us in his hands and take us where he willed. And we became um, very different from, from, I think, that moment forward and just very spirit-focused and just, okay, God, now what? What are we doing? Because we can't do this anymore. So we're talking about grace. This is where grace ends up entering where we start experiencing grace. Um, I can name, I could sit up here for like 20 minutes and name things that we prayed about that just all started, things just started happening. That Connections happening, um, 
meeting new people, being sent from having someone who, we had a plan for one shoulder surgeon to do this surgery to salvage whatever we could, had the plan. Joy asked the question. He ends up referring us to someone else to get a second opinion just to see what he would say. I go to that appointment, and I remember being nervous, texting her, and then this guy looks like he's like 12. So I'm texting Joy, like, I'm so nervous. And then I look out the door, and I see this guy, and I'm like texting her, oh, my gosh, this guy looks 12. Um, Yeah, Doogie Howser. Um, But but then then he enters the room, and it was like the second he started talking, I'm like, okay, the the piece just came right there. Um, Where I remember walking out of the out of this appointment, and I couldn't wait to get to the car just to call Joy, like, this guy's doing it. This, this is very, very clear. Like, I know you haven't met this guy. We have this whole plan, but that plan's got to go. We're going here. Um, there were a lot of things like that. Um, we had um, planned for three possible um, procedures to be done, uh, a be- kind of a best uh, through a worst-case scenario, and actually the best-case scenario is the one that we actually ended up doing um, so our prayers have been answered on that. Um, we didn't know where he was taking us, what we were doing, um, but we were following. We were praying constantly for direction, make things clear to us. Um, and we were being really spirit-led and spirit-driven, and things just kind of kept, I don't want to say they fell into place because they didn't fall into place. We were blessed very much so. So <clears throat> after surgery, Um, our doctor comes out, and I'm so nervous this time because I'm like, I don't want to have to tell this man again that there's a failure, right? And so um, there are seeds of doubt, but I'm still like, we're pushing on and we're praying, and we've got so many people praying with us. And um, after surgery, doctor comes out, and he's like, okay, come back here, let's talk. And I'm like, okay. Um, And he's like, so I fixed it. And I'm like, what? What? And he's like, so I fixed it. And I'm like, well, what did you do? Did you have to do this or this or, you know, all these different procedures that he thought? He's like, no, I just use all his own stuff. It's fixed. You're good. And I'm like, oh, my gosh. So um, then I, you know, just began feeling this huge peace. And I was so excited. I couldn't wait to see Steve. Um, and, and just through that whole process and after and after the surgery, and God is just continuing to pour out his grace. And we do not deserve any of it. Um, we had chosen to be more open this time because, you know, we're rock bottom. So we're like, yeah, if you want to bring meals, that's great. But we also really would love to have people come and talk with us. We want, you know, we need prayers. And, and we were getting, you know, meals. We were getting visitors coming over. Um, a couple different um, of our friends were, like, mentoring us, like holding our hands and walking, you know, through the fire with us, praying with us, texting. Um, my sister ended up, when she went back, when he went back to work, um, she worked in Toledo also. She was able to give him rides to work every day. So all these things just kept happening. I didn't have to take off work to do that. And just so many blessings, even just the small everyday stuff. And whenever a moment of doubt came up, like, you know, we're going back to that verse, and I would just, Steve would say, well, I just don't know, you know. And I would say, no, James, James. And so he would do the same thing to me. I would have one of those days, and I'd be like, I'm so overwhelmed. And he'd say, Joy, James. So, we let God lead, and we let ourselves be vulnerable, and which is really hard to others, and allow them to help us because we're doers, and we want to do our own thing and take care of ourselves. Um, but does Satan give up? Absolutely not. He continues to try to, to stop us, and 
derail our house and us and plant seeds of doubt and what if it's not, you know, fixed. And But the difference is this time we're more intentional and we're spirit-focused and we're not letting him. So we're praying more often. We're praying with our kids and praying over our kids more often. We're doing devotions as a family every night. Um, God is leading us through all our choices and helping us know, you know, exactly what to do and putting the, the right people in our lives. So kind of what, what we've taken from, really, I guess from the, especially from probably late August of, of last year till now, um, is that we have a, we've been strongly led to help other people um, go through situations just similar to uh, situations we've had. Um, we don't know the who, the what, the where, the when, the how, those kind of things. We don't know what those things are yet. Um, and we still don't know the outcome of where I'll end up getting from with my shoulder itself. Um, but the one thing we know that is that God's led us to a point, or led us to be driven to help other people going through similar situations. Um, so, through prayer and God leading us, um, we're recognizing that we're being called to start a new ministry here. Um, along with our pastors and prayer warriors, we're trying to we're starting a new journey. With our goal being to help the church family walk through life storms. Uh, a passage of scripture that really stuck with me was First Peter four ten, that says, "Each of you should use whatever gift you receive to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms." So, we are storm chasers. We are running into the fire, holding hands with people. So what does that mean? Um, Just like people did for us. We're shoulder to shoulder, and we're hand in hand, and we are walking together, and we are battling through the storms with our family. You guys are our family. And we're continuing to defeat evil when it tries to invade our life. So what does that look like on a practical level? Um... So like somebody with this ministry, I'm trying to just let you know what we're, where we're going. Um, someone has to be out of town. They have a relative in Arizona that's sick and they're gone. So um, we're going to um, do their lawn care. We're going to take care of things at their house while they're gone. Um, someone needs rides to chemo um, and someone to sit with them. We're going to do that. We're going to set that up or we're going to do it. Um, a couple who's struggling is reaching out, whether it's financially, relationship, communication, whatever. We're going to mentor them, or we're going to find the right people to do these things. Um, a mom with um, a mom with four kids is stressed over her husband's second shoulder surgery, and we're going to take her meals, we're going to pray with her, and we're going to hold her hand. So, we plan to work closely with. Um, the pastors and with Rhonda as um, the prayer requests come in. Um, but we need your help because we are family and families do things together. So um, our question to you is, you know, we know a lot of you and what some of your skills and talents are, but we would not profess to know everything about anybody. So tell us, what are your talents or what are your skills? What do you have that you can help with? How can you offer um, what storms can you help people with? How are you called? And don't wait, you know, for things to come up. If you have something that you know you can share or you're good at or is a talent or a blessing, talk to us. Talk to us today. Talk to us in the coming weeks or talk to Rex or Landon or Pastor Dave or talk to Rhonda, whatever. And we're going to work together as a team kind of heading up this Storm Chasers ministry. And no one in this church is going to be 
walking through things alone. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Steve. You know, God has definitely shown his grace to us, given us new life. And I think the right thing that happens is when we know we've been blessed, we turn around then and we bless others. We show grace to others. As with Julie coming up here and sharing her story, a tragic thing out of nowhere, but yet she sees the grace of God and she wants to share that grace with others. A routine thing that turned into more than what you ever thought it would be, you see the grace of God and you want to show the grace of God to others. And, you know, as you said, you don't have a name, you call it Storm Chasers now, right? Um, love it. But when we think about this, I want to go back to what Paul said in Ephesians 2. Once you were dead because of your disobedience and many sins, you used to live in sin just like the rest of the world obeying the devil. The commander of the powers in this unseen world, he is a spirit at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. That is who we were. Church, that's not who we are today. That's not who we are today. Now you are a child of God. You've been redeemed. You've been sanctified. You've been indwelt by the Spirit of God, church. Think for a moment of all the people you know who still don't know God. Don't you think they should know that there's a God who loves them? God's showing you grace. Show grace to others by telling them about what God's done for you. God's showing you grace by giving you things. What can you do to help others? Change oil, help counsel, take a meal, go pray with them. Share your story. Give them a hug. Let them know they're not alone. Students in here, how many times have you seen kids sitting at a lunch table by themselves, alone? Don't let that happen. Show the grace of God. Show the love by going and sitting with them. Befriend them. We must never forget the past, the, where we were. And we think about where we are now by the grace of God. That should encourage us to step forward in serving Him. I want to ask the worship team to come forward. And while they're coming forward, there's just two things I want to share with you, church. Here it is. Here's the first thing. First of all, if you've not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day. Think of it like a marriage. First, you get to know that person. And as you get to know that person, you, you fall in love with that person. And after you fall in love with that person, you make a commitment and you get married to that person. Where are you at relationally with Jesus Christ? You've got to get to know him first. Open up the Bible. Learn who he is. As you get to know who Jesus Christ is, you start to fall in love with him and understand what he's done for you. And then you make that commitment. And you ask for him to forgive your sins. And you place your faith in him. And when you place your faith in him, that's that commitment part where now you go live for him out of obedience and service. It's amazing. Um, if, if, you've not, if you've not done that, now's a great day to do that. And as a believer in Jesus Christ, for those in this church that are the same there, today's a, day's, today's a great day to recognize the grace that God's given you. Today's a great day to recognize the grace that God has given you. We're forever in the grasp of his grace. How are we going to reciprocate that grace to others? Would you stand with me, please? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. So we looked into your word. Look at the grace that you've bestowed upon us. What an amazing thing. We don't deserve it. We're not entitled to it. We were once dead in our sins but you saved us. 
you saved us and you've now given us peace and you've given us a place with you and you give us an opportunity to share in your future glory. And God, whatever comes our way, it could be routine or it could be tragic. Whatever comes our way, it's just a simple day sitting at home in a chair and we feel lonely and it's like, man, this stinks. <laughs> Even in those moments, we want to know what it means to be loved. God, remind us by your grace, you love us. Because you love us, you extend grace to us. And you give us new life. That's worth celebrating. And we need to share that with others. God, for the person in this room that doesn't know you, let today be the day when they do. That right where they're standing, they ask for forgiveness. They place their faith in you. They make a commitment to living for you. For those of us in this room, today might be a day where we say, you know what? God, you have given me so much grace. It's time that I start living it out and showing grace to others. Moving our hearts, God, only in the way that you can move. God, thank you. You now in song. We praise your name. Amen.